What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does the day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Thank you for listening to the Birth Story Podcast. If you are tuning in for the first time, I want to encourage you to start at the beginning. I want you to go on a journey with me and allow me to be your virtual doula and teach you all the things along the way. So I'm just going to give you a couple highlights of some of the earlier podcast episodes if you are just now tuning in. So very first episode, episode one, you can learn all about me, who I am, why I became a doula, why it is. I do what I do, and also my very own birth story with my second child, Jagger. Then I've interviewed some really cool CEOs. So episode three, Tori Jones is the CEO of Eshell Triangle, and she was also featured on Rachel Hollis's The Rise podcast. Episode seven was Rachel Coley, the CEO of Can Do Kiddo. She was just on Good Morning America. She's an incredible occupational therapist that teaches you how to play with your baby, and her birth stories are incredible. Episode 10 was one of my best friends, Amy, who had a VBAC in the car. We have done episodes on micro preemies, episode 18. 21 on international adoption out of Uganda, 24 and 25. Oh, those episodes like get a box of tissues. They're on surrogacy and cancer. We've addressed hypnobirthing, fertility, really easy, joyful, uh, medicated births, really hard, long labors, medicated, unmedicated, everything in between. So I hope you'll start at the beginning. Let the Birth Story Podcast take you on a journey all the way through and enjoy this episode. And then remember to rewind all the way back to episode one. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. So welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. Thank you. I usually don't say the date, but it's, you know, April 2nd. And so we're in the middle of quarantine. And today I have Sam on labor with Sam. And so you're a labor doula. Yes. And how many kids do you have? I have two. You have two. And we're going to talk about your birth stories. Yeah. And then, but before we get started on your birth stories, I would love to hear a little bit about the environment in which you are supporting women with virtual doula-ing and kind of what that looks like. So where are you, Sam? Mm -hmm. Um, In the country. Where are you in the country? (laughs) 
So I am based out of Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm the owner and CEO of the Carolina Doula Collective. Okay. And yeah, the environment in which we are supporting women has changed a lot in the last couple of weeks, been very upended, but we are, you know, pivoting very, very well and figuring out new and creative ways to make sure that our clients still have all of the support that they need. So that has kind of taken on the form of like virtual uh, meetings, which is easier to replace. So we're just holding our prenatal meetings and things like that over Zoom or Skype or Google Hangout. So many choices. And then, so those have been fine. You know, a lot of that is just conversational and, and everything. So that's about the same. The main difference in that is that we are not currently allowed in the hospitals um, because we, all of our hospitals in our area, like most hospitals in the country, have switched to a one support person policy for laboring people. So we are really kind of shifting our focus to providing support and education for whoever mom's primary support person is going to be um, and trying to make sure that they feel very confident in taking on that role of sole labor support and that they have our support in doing that. So I'm spending a lot of time working with partners and working on comfort measures and education to make sure that they also have a really good understanding of, you know, the process of labor and the different labor stages and kind of what the goals are for each stage of labor. And thankfully, I had already earlier this year created an online course geared entirely around comfort measures. And it's video-based and kind of walks through 11 different comfort measures and talks about when to use them and how to use them and gives a demonstration on it. So, you know, we've been able to kind of sign people up for that and give them the opportunity to work on those comfort measures and learn them, practice them in their homes before going into the hospital. And then when people go into labor, we are on call just the same way we normally would be. And we're just kind of gauging how we can best offer support in the moment. So if people are are not symptomatic and there's not a lot of concern there, we are still offering to meet people in their homes and kind of get them settled before they go into the hospital, kind of depending on where everyone's comfort level is. And then as they go into the hospital, we're offering either to just be on a video call with them, if that is what would make them most comfortable, um, or do regular check-ins every like 30 minutes to an hour and kind of offer suggestions for different position changes or comfort measures to try, offer emotional support, answer any questions that they might have about what's going on, and just kind of make sure that they feel supported during that time. Um, and then, you know, again, going back to video calls and other um, means of communication postpartum and making sure that they still have access to all the resources that they need. You know, we still, so many people have done such a great and creative job of transitioning their resources over to safer modes and mechanisms. So we've got lactation consultants that are still doing telemed visits and support groups that are still meeting online and things like that. So we're just trying to get people connected with the resources that they need afterwards and help their transition to parenthood in this crazy time. Isn't it so amazing how quickly all of the doulas have been able to adapt? And one of the things you touched on that I just want you to go into a little bit more is that you had developed an online course. 
And so many people are moving, we're moving to this prior to the pandemic. I think we're going to see a lot more online courses being offered, you know, after this. But a couple questions. Mm -hmm. What is a doula collective? Because if I'm a listener right now, I'm like, I, I barely know what a doula is. And, okay. you know, what is a doula collective? And then also, how can we find your online course? And can anyone take it? Do you have to be your client or can anyone take it? And then how much does it cost? Yeah. So, a doula, for anybody who might not know what a doula is, is a non medical support professional. And labor or birth doulas specifically um, offer emotional, physical support in the form of comfort measures and educational informational support throughout pregnancy, labor, birth, and the early postpartum period. So I'm not doing any clinical tasks, which is what part of what makes me different from like a midwife or an OB. I'm kind of filling in the gaps. I like to say for people in terms of making sure that they have the information that they need and feel solidly educated about you know what's coming. Um, my background before becoming a doula was in crisis intervention counseling and trauma counseling. So I also personally spend a lot of time helping people um, prepare and make decisions that will help them have the best chance possible at a positive birth experience, regardless of kind of what happens when we go into birth, because we're never 100% sure about what our birth story is going to look like. So I feel like giving people that information, that support, that education ahead of time, walking them through the range of possibilities of what things can look like so that they can think that through and decide on what their preferences would be really kind of helps reduce the likelihood that they're going to become overwhelmed or fearful during the birth itself so that they can kind of come away feeling like, you know, they were able to maintain some autonomy and control in that situation and can feel positively about how it was handled regardless of what happened. So that's, I spend a lot of time with my clients doing that. And then in person, when I'm able to go to birth, providing a lot of that physical support and comfort measures. So what I think is really important right now too, is what I cannot stress enough to everyone out there who has a doula. I'll probably publish this episode like recent, you know, right away rather than delaying it or whatever, is that 95% of our job has nothing to do with the actual day of labor. Like your doula is with you for your whole pregnancy and the postpartum period. We're with you at home all the way until you're ready to go to the hospital. Some, you know, a lot of the times. And so I just keep trying to stress to my clients, like this tiny fraction of a moment of time, like the birth is being taken Mm -hmm. away, but like the whole experience is still, you know, intact for like my business and your business and the doulas around the country supporting um, all of the mamas that are laboring. So I think it was so important that you went through the whole spectrum because on the news media, people just hear like, oh, they can't have their partner. And it's like, well, they still have so much, you know, support going on. Okay. Sorry to interrupt, but now your online courses. Yeah. So To touch real quick on the collective piece, we have a group of doulas that work with us. And a big piece of what I do also is run a mentorship program for new doulas um, that kind of works with them through their first year of being a doula where they've kind of finished their training, but they haven't completed their certification births and hours um, and kind of working with them to provide continuing education and birth experience. And we also use that program as an avenue to connect with people in the community who 
are struggling financially and might not be able to afford doula services in the traditional way. So we kind of have partnerships with clinics in our area um, that kind of connect. So the collective piece just simply means that it's more than just me. Um, Yeah. So I have another question on that too. So if someone is looking to hire a doula, Mm-hmm. And they look online and they hear, see words like agency or collective or concierge versus just like a person's name or whatever. One of the questions that a lot of my listeners have is like, how do I know who's going to be at my birth? So if someone hires like you or your company, are, does, do they get Sam or do they just get a doula within your collective? How does that work for anyone who's listening that might be in or, or around the Raleigh area? Kind of what might that experience be for them? Yeah. So every group does it differently. But in terms of my group, um, you are hiring your doula and you are hiring a person and they will be your their primary person throughout their birth and pregnancy journey. And I think that's really important because it's such a rapport-based business and you know you're you're trusting the person that you hire to come into your birth space and you need to click with them and you need to to feel good about that relationship. So you're hiring a person. Now we all have backups that kind of work within the agency um, to make sure that in the event that someone would not be able to attend the birth due to extenuating circumstances, we still have someone that can come. But we always make sure that you know, people meet the backup and they know who that's going to be and they feel comfortable with that person as well. But you are definitely hiring one person to be your primary doula. Cool. It's like the the perfect thing of collaboration over competition. Yes. So very cool model. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of my courses, you can find the Comfort Measures course on my website, which is carolinadulacollective.com. And it's under the online course tab and you can find it there. Typically it is $45, but for right now, as long as this pandemic situation is going on, it is discounted to $30 with the code get 15. So you get $15 off um, to $30 because I do want to make sure that people you know, feel like they have access. And I know finances are a big concern for just about everybody right now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's where you can find that. And then more information about any of the services that we're offering. Very, very cool. Okay. So one of the things I wanted to mention to the audience is that there's to clarify some things, especially in North Carolina. And I don't know how it is going to be across the entire country, but when they say they've limited the introduction of a birth partner to just down to one, it's really to limit the exposure to protect the people within the hospital from having a whole bunch of people coming and going. So the number one question I've gotten from my clients is, which is very flattering because I have a lot of second time multiparous moms is, well, Heidi, like I choose you. Like, you know, I already had an experience with number one, you know, I choose you. And what we've been told is that there's no switching out. And so very quickly, my clients then were like, oh, reverse. If I have to then be at the hospital with my baby after the birth without my partner, then that part would be a little bit devastating. So I wanted to like share that piece of it 
to everyone listening is that the hospitals are protecting the people within the walls of the hospital. And if we switch out, it's still two birth partners. And so there is no switching out, you know, before, during, after. I think that the only exception would be if somebody fell ill or, you know, didn't, you know, didn't feel good. But then I think you may just still... At that point, they might just quarantine. (laughs) Yeah. Now we're going to take a short break to just share a few things with you. Thanks for listening to the Birth Story Podcast. I am so excited to announce the launch of my book, Birth Story, a 42-week guide for your pregnancy, a collection of these birth stories, a ton of doula advice, and journaling prompts. You can order a copy today at birthstory.com. It also will mean the world to me if you'll spread the word about this podcast. So on Stitcher or on iTunes, just leave a review. Thanks. So in your area, what are you hearing about discharge? So at birth centers, you know, typically you're gone quickly at home. You're, you know, just at home, but in the hospital, have you heard anything in your area about how quickly they're trying to get moms and babies out of the hospital? And is that different than what it has been? Yeah, so um, it's a little it can be a little complicated in my area because we have three different large um, hospital groups to work within. And they're tr- they're doing as best they can to kind of make sure that all of their policies are the same so that it's not confusing in the community. But we're still kind of in that feeling things out phase where things are changing every day. In general, what I'm hearing and what I'm telling clients is, you know, they're still... For, for an uncomplicated vaginal delivery, they're still saying that it's going to be challenging to discharge before 24 hours. And the reason for that is that there's just a certain amount of testing that needs to be done with the baby that they prefer to do at that 24-hour mark. So what I'm kind of encouraging my clients to do is to kind of increase their understanding of what those tests are and what the talk to their provider about the list of like what needs to happen in order for me to get discharged so that they can advocate for themselves to say like, I understand that I gave birth at three o'clock in the morning, but like, I would also like to leave at three o'clock in the morning tomorrow and not wait longer than that so that they can advocate and say like, no, it's really okay with me if the nursery staff comes in at 3 a.m. to do some of these tests because we're trying to expedite the situation. I think also just communicating with your provider about what your options are in terms of the pediatrician piece of the discharge because I think that's the biggest hang-up for a lot of people is that the pediatricians are not often at the hospital overnight. They usually come in in the morning and do all of their discharge situations. So working that piece out, you know, and I, I have heard of clients being able to work with like their pediatrician personally saying like, you know, I'm going to take my baby at this point to go and and see the pediatrician or whatever and have the tests done there. So I think there's, there's just a lot of communicating that has to happen, you know, in provider and hospital communications with the client. And it probably is going to require some advocacy on the part of the client to get discharged earlier if that's what they want. You know, I think our, I think all the hospitals are doing as as good of a job as they can in making sure that they're still kind of operating as close to normal as is possible. And obviously, we want to reduce the strain on the hospital system. So I think they're trying to 
you know, get people discharged closer to that 24 hour mark than the 48 hour mark, as long as everything is, is uncomplicated. But, you know, you also have to take in mind the risks of taking your newborn to the pediatrician and those extra trips out. So I think it's, it's pretty personal and, and they're just trying to feel it out. Yeah. I think a good takeaway though, is that they are trying to reduce the amount of time you spend in the hospital. But yeah, so yesterday my kids and I had to go to the pediatrician. I have one who's got like, you know, we joke, it's like the hundred day cough Mm -hmm. and it's not a good thing to have with (laughs) COVID-19, you know, but thankfully he's, you know, has it every year, the hundred day cough. So anyway, so we go yesterday to the pediatrician, but they did car visits. So she came right out to the car, fully masked, fully gloved and was able to just kind of check them over in the car. So that's another thing. Um, If you are delivering right around now, you're going to have a two week, four week, six week, you know, whatever that schedule looks like with your pediatrician, there may be some visits that they could do um, without you getting out of the car too, which is kind of neat. Okay. So before we like finish up this quick little chat on the quarantine and in a later episode, we're going to get into your birth story. So if anybody's listening, Sam has two incredible birth stories. Just give us the highlights really quick so that they <laughs> da, 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 uh, hang around and stay for your birth stories. Yeah. So I have two children and they are 15 months apart. That's probably the biggest highlight. High five. Oh. Mine too. <laughs> yeah. Mine too. So my daughter was um, a hospital water birth. It was a long labor, but it was a great experience. And then my son was a home birth. It was a very different experience. And I nursed through my whole second pregnancy um, and then went on to tandem nurse. So that was a unique experience as well. I cannot wait to get into those. Oh my gosh. Okay. I just got goosebumps all over and I pulled my coffee. Goosebumps, coffee spilling. That's how excited I am. Okay. But before we get into this, let's leave the audience with some practical tips for birthing and delivering during COVID, you know, especially with your one partner that's going with you. But let's be real. The majority of people listening to a birth story podcast don't have a doula. And so let's talk about some practical things to like pack and do. I know you have a whole course we want everyone to take, but let's just give a few tips away. So So. the course is just in comfort measures, but I did, I have um, hosted a couple of webinars recently that have been specific to like helping your partner prepare for birth and kind of the outline that I'm giving people is the first step is to make sure that you're both educated about the process. And that is going to include the stages of labor and what those look like and common interventions that you might encounter and just kind of really becoming educated, both of you, on what to expect and the variations of what that can look like. And you can do that on your own. You can do it through a book. You can do it through a course. You can work with the doula to you know make sure that you have that done um, ahead of time. I think that's really important. Let's let's hang there for just a minute. If you're listening and you don't have a doula, it's not too late to hire a doula to help you like with the visioning of like a birth plan and advocacy plan. You know, maybe it's the end of your pregnancy and you didn't get all of the things the doula does, but like you can call if anyone picked up the phone right now and called me and I know called you and said, Hey. I'm, we're about to do this and I just want help with that birth plan or advocacy to get through COVID. What does that look like? So yes, it's never sure. too late I think to a hire. lot of doulas are just kind of 
doing that. I know what I'm doing is kind of lumping that into kind of like a one-on-one childbirth education course. And that's, you know, just a one-off, you know, couple hours where we just go through everything and work on birth planning and, and those things to kind of make people feel prepared. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so wherever you're listening, Google, you know, <laughs> Google some doulas. Yeah. And, uh, and or you can stuff. call one of us because it's virtual yeah, exactly. anyway. Right? Yeah, that's true. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Raleigh, here we are. Yes. Um, so that would definitely be the first step. The second step you, you touched on with birth planning. And I always tell people, you know, back a few years ago when birth planning was becoming really popular, the goal was to write your preferences down to communicate with your provider and make sure that your preferences were respected. And that can still be really important. But thankfully, a lot of things that people were putting on their birth plan back a few years ago have started to become more commonplace at a lot of hospitals, which is amazing. I still feel like birth planning has a lot of value more for the process so that you are having that conversation, you're sitting down with your partner and you're making sure that the two of you are communicating about your goals and your preferences because your partner can't support you adequately if they don't know what your goal is and what your preferences are. So making sure that you take the time to you know, use a birth planning template and sit down and say, these are my goals. These are my preferences. This is how I would like to see you know, situation A, B, and C handled so that your partner has a frame of reference for how to best support you. Because they might be thinking like, who would want to go through this process being in tons of pain? She definitely would want to get an epidural. And you might be like, no, I'm really good. I just... I would like to try to make it through without an epidural. And that's going to come into play when they're supporting you and you're in transition and you're at your most like vulnerable and your partner's like, okay, I think you should just get the epidural. And then you you will because at that point, you're going to be like, fine, I'll just do what you want me to do. But you might feel a little bit um, unhappy about that later. So making sure that... Or not. Um, <laughs> but you want to make sure that you are just communicating your goals to your partner so that they can support you. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about what someone could pack. Yes. So like, I know a lot of the partners call me and are like, okay, okay if you're not coming into the hospital with us and we're not crowning, you know, <laughs> so we walk in, um, you know, which are some people's plans. I will tell you that. Some yes. people's plans. But if you are not crowning and you're walking into the hospital and there's some laboring that needs to be done, what are some things like I've been encouraging my clients, partners to have their own like doula back. So let's talk about what would you put in there? Yeah. So the number one thing that I'm recommending to all partners to pack is food for themselves, because I think you have to think about your role as being the sole labor support. You don't, you're not going to get to leave really with the exception of maybe going to the bathroom while a nurse is in there to take over whatever hip squeezes or counter pressure you're doing. And you're also not going to get to leave the hospital really to go get food or get coffee the way that you might have, you know, at a different time because they are trying to to reduce that risk of exposure. So making sure that you're packing snacks to sustain you for like um about 24 hours is what I'm recommending to people. And those need to be, you know, snacks that are kind of nutrient dense, easy to grab, and don't have a strong smell. So that's kind of the way that I think about it as a doula. Like I need to be able to grab this in between a contraction and like eat it real fast without making a big deal out of it. So making sure that, you know, you as a partner are packing enough of that. And that kind of includes caffeine and, you know, 
pick me ups to give you the energy that you need if, if labor goes on for a while. So that's the biggest thing that I'm recommending to people and then making sure that you as the partner know where everything is to support mom. So I'm really kind of recommending that people pack everything that they're going to need for labor. And that's going to include like things for the partner and also things for the mom in one bag that the partner knows where everything is. So if you're bringing a TENS unit, if you, you know, if mom wants to use essential oils and a diffuser, music, changes of clothes for mom, like if she needs a dry sports bra or her bathing suit top or things like that, making sure that the partner is well aware of where everything is and what is in there is important so that they can kind of be proactive about going and grabbing things without needing to ask where they are. And then, you know, things that you feel like you're going to need for your postpartum period, I usually recommend packing in a separate bag and just leaving them in the car until you're in your room and settled and can go and grab them. Cool. And I have a couple things I'll add to the list is more like on the dueling side too, is like environment. So just like keeping the lights low and maybe some like just a couple, not like a million things, but like just a couple of those like LED candles or twinkly lights, like something to just keep it really low and soft. And then I've also just been, you know, I can never stress the reminder of emptying out your phone before you go. So you Mm -hmm. have plenty of storage and having lots of charge. Like the number one way to not upset your partner laboring is to make sure that, you know, they can call or text the people that they love and that their phone isn't dead, you know, after they've delivered, you know, their baby, that kind of thing. So as we wrap up, Sam and I are going to put a little guide. I'll put it on my website. You can put it on your website, but especially in the show notes with Mm -hmm. just a few packing tips. And then we'll link to your class for comfort measures Mm -hmm. so that if anyone wants to jump on and take your class, we would highly encourage it. So thanks for jumping on for just, I don't even know how long we've been talking for 20 minutes or so to go through, you know, birthing during... Um, COVID-19. So we're going to hang up this call. And then I really appreciate you having on. And then I'm so excited to do a whole nother podcast (laughs) talking about your birth stories. Sounds great. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like.